Good morning. I am Bob Walker, again, one of the pastors here at Covenant Life. And I do have the privilege of preaching while Justin's preaching at that church in Clearwater, Northwood Community Church. And we're beginning a series of sermons today through the book of 2 Peter. And I couldn't be more excited, both for myself and for us together as a church. You see, 2 Peter, let me get rid of that pen, is a unique book. It was written at the end of Peter's life to a group of believers, a group of churches that he loved and labored among. And these are his loving last words to these believers. People who were facing tremendous persecution and were now having to battle internal enemies. And this letter is going to speak to us in these eight weeks as we learn the importance of living holy lives, both in the face of persecution and during the more subtle attacks of false teachers. This letter will warn us of false teachers. It'll teach us how to recognize them, show us how to resist their false teaching. This letter will teach us to hope in the only thing certain not to fail us, the return of our Lord. And it will teach us how to live in light of our Savior's certain return. So I read this letter, and I have been reading this letter, and you're looking at this letter today, and perhaps you're wondering with me, are there false teachers among us even now? Or how is Satan seeking to infect us with false teaching? Are you, are we, being subtly turned away from the pure truth of God's word? Second Peter says we are under that very attack. And the cost of losing this battle against falsehood is too high to neglect any time, any effort, any resource at our disposal to fight. The cost of losing this battle is our souls. So before I dive into this book, I want to share a story about the profit that one person received by reading and studying this letter. So there was a Dr. Congdon, and he once approached a famous Bible teacher, R.A. Torrey. Many of you might have heard of him. Complaining he could get nothing out of his Bible study. Please tell me how to study it so that it will mean something to me. Read it, replied Dr. Torrey. I do read it. We'll read it some more. How? Take some book and read it 12 times a day for a month. Tory recommended 2 Peter. Dr. Con, Con, I'm sorry, Congdon later said, my wife and I read 2 Peter three or four times in the morning, two or three times at noon, and two or three times at dinner. Soon I was talking 2 Peter to everyone I met. It seemed as though the stars in the heavens were singing the story of 2 Peter. I read 2 Peter on my knees, marking passages, teardrops mingled with the colors. And I said to my wife, see how I've ruined this part of my Bible. Yes, she said, but as the pages have been getting dirty, your life has been getting clean. So if we come to God's word, willing to believe it, willing to learn, willing to do God's will. He will teach us and he will change us. 
So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word. And we come, come to your word because it is yours. You are the author. You have, have, in your great will, have given this word to us. You've inspired it, breathed it out. And, and we know this is good for us. It's profitable. It's useful. It's, it's necessary. Necessary for the salvation of our souls, for the, for the holiness of our walk, the purity of our walk, the purity of your church. And so we ask, along with the psalmist, that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, not to ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm looking at this letter, and I'm beginning to ask myself questions. Perhaps you're asking some of these same questions. Why study Second Peter at all? What am I going to find in this book? How am I going to understand its message? Will it even apply to me? What should I look for in this letter? How's it organized? Will I be able to understand its message the way the original readers understood its message? Ultimately, what will God teach me in this book? So the purpose of this sermon is to begin to answer some of these questions. So my purpose today is to aim 2 Peter straight at our hearts to introduce this letter in such a way that we clearly see God's message to us, that we hear his message, that we know it, that we obey it. So today we're going to organize our introduction to 2 Peter around three questions. One, why study 2 Peter? The second question, number two, how can we begin to understand this letter? So what's the message of this letter? And then three, what should I look for in this letter? Basically, you know, how is this letter organized? So, why study Second Peter? Two, how do, be, how do we begin to understand this letter? What's the message of this letter? And then three, what should I look for in this letter? How is it organized? So, the title of this sermon is Holiness, Heresy, and Hope. Because these three words describe the content and organization of this book. This book offers a call to holiness, a call to faith in chapter 1. There is a warning of heresy and false teachers in chapter 2. And we must remember that these false teachers are among them, as Peter's writing, and among us. They are members of their congregation, of our congregations. These are internal enemies. And then lastly, chapter 3 offers a call to hope in the sure return of the Lord. So... One, why study Second Peter? What's the obvious answer? It's God's word. It's inspired by God and profitable, useful to us for teaching, reproof, correction. And we need solid re teaching, reproof, and correction in the face of false teachers. It's good for training and righteousness. All of these from Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And this book's face challenges in the past, and it's passed every test. People have doubted its authorship. They've doubted its place in the canon of scripture. They've doubted its message. But this letter has passed every test, and rightly so. Why study Second Peter? It's Peter's dying words. It was probably written from Rome around 64 to 68 AD in Nero's reign. And tradition tells us Peter was executed in Rome at that time. He wrote knowing he was about to die. 
Listen to chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 of 2 Peter. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Christ has made clear to me. This context will inform Justin's upcoming sermons on 2 Peter. It will inform our listening, and it will lend a focus, a gravity, a weight that the Holy Spirit will use to imprint these words on our hearts. Third, why study 2 Peter? This letter will motivate you. It will motivate us to diligence in our walk with the Lord. Let me read chapter 1, verses 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And it keeps going on until it gets to love. It will motivate you to diligence in persevering in the faith. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And at the end of the letter, in chapter 3, verse 14, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, this hope to come, be diligent to be found in him, by him, in peace, spotless and blameless. Peter preaches diligence in our faith from beginning to end. Fourth, this letter hammers home the need for knowledge. And it teaches us the knowledge that leads to godliness. This is not just mere head knowledge. This is the knowledge needed to combat false teachers. The knowledge of the future needed to motivate us in our present circumstances. Why study 2 Peter 5? This letter teaches us that the church must be pure, untainted by false teaching, untainted by false teachers who entice us, not only with an untrue gospel. What does this letter teach us? Those false teachers entice us with our own greed, our own lust. 2 Peter teaches us discernment. And number six, why study 2 Peter because 2 Peter teaches us to remember the Lord is returning. We're to act like people whose God will not leave sin unpunished. He is returning. So look for these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Here's a summary of the letter that might be useful. It might be helpful in understanding the letter as a whole before we break it down into smaller sections for the next seven weeks. It's a paraphrase of Dr. Kenneth Gangle's summary from Today in the Word of the reasons Peter wrote his second letter. And so I'll read this to you. It's one long sentence. This final impassioned plea to grow in Christian maturity and guard against false teachers was precipitated by the fact Peter's time was short and that these congregations faced immediate danger. He also desired to refresh their memories and stimulate their thinking so that they would remember his teaching. And he encouraged his readers with the certainty of Christ's return. And so this summary can serve as our transition as we discuss the context of this letter. So how can we understand this book? 
And we'll start by just taking a look at the first two verses of chapter one of this letter. Let me read them to you. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So this letter was written by Peter toward the end of his life. Who was Peter? He was a disciple of Jesus. He was a fisherman in Galilee, a brother of another disciple, Andrew. Peter was the leader of the disciples. His name is always listed in the first group of Jesus' disciples, and his name is always listed first of the first group. He was the spokesman. He denied Jesus the night of Jesus' trial, but he was restored by the Lord himself. And since that time, Peter spoke with power and confidence in the face of opposition. He was a leader and pillar of the Jerusalem church. Paul wrote of Peter's travels to Greece with Peter's wife in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. And Jesus told Peter the death he would endure. I spoke of it earlier, but let's listen to John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, someone else will gird you, and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death, listen to this. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Because Peter was so prominent, there were many people who sought to write letters in his name. And each of these spurious letters was rejected from the canon of scripture. But they did serve to cast some shade on Second Peter. Some would point to an elevated classical style in this letter that would be unusual for a Galilean fisherman. And sounds a little different from First Peter. And it's important to note that Peter was not a rabbi, but he was a product of a vigorous education common to Israelite boys of this day. And he also almost certainly used an assistant to do the actual writing while he verbally dictated this letter. The assistants would probably be different from the assistant used for 1 Peter. The spurious letters were all rejected. And 2 Peter was rightfully included in the canon of scripture. So I mentioned this earlier. Peter was killed in Nero's reign about 30 years after Christ's crucifixion. The church was established in Jerusalem, had spread throughout Turkey, Greece, and the rest of the Roman Empire. And it was probably written to the same church as Peter wrote to in his first letter. The churches of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And in this letter, Peter describes himself as a bondservant and apostle. And the contrast between those two are stunning. It's a mix of humility and confidence that we should seek to emulate. So bondservant, a low, servile term, one born to be a slave. And think of the irony. We're bound to Satan as slaves with bonds that only death can break. 
Christ's death broke those bonds, and now we're free. And the highest office in all of Christendom is Peter's and ours. We are bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Peter is also an apostle of Jesus Christ, meaning he's an appointed one to carry out a task on behalf of and in the name of and with the authority of another. He's a slave, but a slave appointed to speak for and represent his master. Let's keep reading. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. The construction of the Greek tells us that the faith spoken of here is not of a body of doctrine. It's not the things we believe. It's the God-given capacity to trust in Christ alone for salvation. We did not earn this capacity or work for it in any way. We received this faith. We received this ability to trust in Christ. And this faith is no different than the faith received by Peter and the rest of the apostles. So when Peter speaks of ours, he's speaking of the apostles. And he refers to them a little later in chapter 1. So... Let me read starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased and We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. The faith we received, the faith we receive is the same faith received by the apostles. This should give us confidence and hope even as we preach and fight and suffer as the apostles did. So let's keep going. Still in verse one. By the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We receive salvation by grace, a free gift, through faith, complete trust and reliance. We receive that. We trust in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, the Greek gives us the meaning that Jesus Christ is our God and Savior. He lived a perfect, sinless life that enabled him to take the punishment we deserved so that we could trust in his sacrifice on our behalf for our salvation. He received the punishment for our sin. We received the imputed righteousness he earned, and that's how we're saved. And it's time now, if you have not done so, to trust in that good news, in that gospel for your salvation. This letter will not make sense to you if you do not. This letter will not be a benefit to you and your walk in this life if you do not trust in Christ as your Savior. In verse 2, he gives us a common greeting. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. And it echoes Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read those for us. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. So our peace flows from the unearned, unmerited unmerited gift, the grace of forgiveness found in Christ. 
So let's continue. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Knowledge. In this case, that's a strengthened form of the more common word for knowledge. So it implies a larger, more complete, more intimate knowledge. It's a complete appropriation of all truth. That's written by one of my favorite commentators, Kenneth Woost. A complete appropriation of all truth. Peter is writing against false teachers. Some who are introducing heresies of a secret mystical knowledge. Our faith, listen to this, our faith is based on historical, reliable, objective, revealed, not hidden truth. Amen. Our knowledge is directed at a particular object as opposed to an imperfect, partial, or hidden knowledge. And as we are seeking to understand 2 Peter, it's going to be helpful to compare this second letter to the first letter. So I just want to give you a few comparisons before we go on. In the first letter, and I'm going to stop here too, it would be good for all of us to read 1 Peter before next week. It will help us understand Peter. It will help us understand the context that he, in which he's writing. It will help us understand the people he is writing to. It will help us understand Peter's message to the church today by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So please take that time this week. It's only five chapters long. It should probably take you about 12 minutes to read through 2 Peter. Take time to read through 1 Peter and then read 2 Peter maybe up to 12 to 15 times a day if you are so inclined. <laughs> no takers there, okay, I didn't, I didn't think so. So, so here, here's just a comparison, just to think about what was in First Peter, what was his message, message there, what's in Second Peter. In Peter's first letter, he's warning the church of persecution to come and how to endure it. In Second Peter, Peter's warning the church of false teachers infiltrating the church. He's identifying error in the church. In 1 Peter, he comforts the suffering. In 2 Peter, he exposes false teachers. In 1 Peter, he emphasizes Christ's suffering. In 2 Peter, he calls us to behold the glory of Christ. 1 Peter deals with external opposition. 2 Peter deals with internal opposition. 1 Peter, hostility. 2 Peter, heresy. 1 Peter, dangers from without. 2 Peter, dangers from within. In both he, rep- he points us to the hope of Christ's return. So this is the context. So with this context, we can begin to understand this letter. We can prepare to learn what the Lord wants us to learn from this letter. So what do we look for in this letter? How's it organized? And I want to take a few minutes this morning to highlight how this letter's organized, give one or two examples of each point, you know, at this church, we generally preach through books of the Bible expositorily. That means we read the text, we explain the text, we exhort obedience to the text following the model of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul instructs Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So this is our opportunity at the beginning of this series to look at the big picture of this letter. And we want to see the message as a whole. Now, the sermons to follow, they're going to examine smaller sections of the letter. And at the same time, explain how these small sections fit into the major themes of the letter that we're talking about today. And then, of course, in the last 
sermon in this series. Justin's going to help us see this letter again as a complete whole. So, 2 Peter's organized into three chapters. That first chapter is a call to holiness. The second chapter is a warning of heresy and the false teachers who will defile the church. And the last chapter is a call to hope. It's a call to perseverance and diligence. Why? Because the Lord is returning. And when he returns, he will both judge and save. So as we study together for the next two months, I would like you to highlight a few words, a few terms, or at least the ideas expressed in some of these words. And I suggest writing these words in your Bible or in your notes as a reminder to look for them. I would note in our book stall, we have these reading journals. And this one contains 2 Peter. And so on one page, there'll be the text of the scripture. On the other page, there's just room to write. If this would be a help to you, please pick one up in the book stall. I think it would be a help to to many of us as we're studying through and learning from uh, 2 Peter over these next few weeks. So, the terms I'd like you to to keep in mind, that I would like you to note, to even write down, to look for as I'm speaking today, to listen for while Justin is preaching in the sermons to come, as you're reading the scripture, to, to underline, to mark, to think about, to pray about. The first word is knowledge. Knowledge, or a synonym for knowledge, is used at least 16 times in this short letter. So, our faith, again, is based on historical, reliable truth. It's directed at, a, at historical events. We call people to respond to what? The truth of the gospel. And this requires knowledge of and belief in the historical truth of the gospel. Christ came. He lived. He died for our sins. He rose again. Uh, just as an example, I'm going to just read through several passages in just the first chapter of this letter. You can read along with me, just looking for the word knowledge. We've already seen verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Skip down to verse 3. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control, and so on, to love. Verse 8, for these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. He's reminding us of things that we should know. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, another word for knowledge, which is present with you. Verse 14, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, he's talking about his knowledge. Verse 16, for we did not follow clearly devised tales. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, verse 20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but rather men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Knowledge is important when we're reading 2 Peter. 
it is critical to our understanding. It is critical to our walk in the, with the Lord. It is critical in dealing with false teaching and false teachers. And there are things that we need to know about the future in order to live holy lives, pure lives today. This knowledge leads to holiness. This knowledge leads to intimacy with God. Here at Covenant Life Church, we seek to grow in knowledge, not just knowledge of words and things. We seek to grow in a knowledge that leads to intimacy with God, that leads to holiness in our lives. The second word I'd like you to to make note of is a word related to knowledge, and we've already read it once or twice. It's to remind or remember. And so I'm going to use some of Peter's uh, construction. Peter reminds us to remember what we have been taught. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And that we should remember the word of the Lord. We are to remember scripture. Peter says in chapter 3, the first two verses, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the word spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So, church, remember to note the words, remind and remember. Can you remember that? Remember that? Yeah, sorry. I'm old enough to do a dad joke every once in a while. So a third word to look at, a third word to note is diligent or diligence. 2 Peter 1.5 again. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence. Diligence is essential to our growth. Chapter 1 verse 10 again. Brethren be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things. Be diligent in practicing these things. You will never stumble. Chapter 3 verse 14. Beloved since you look for these things be diligent Since you look for this future hope, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. Our faith requires diligence from beginning to end. Another word to note is Lord. 14 times in this short book. This word for Christ, for God, means master, possessor, owner, sovereign, the controller of a thing. And this is the word Peter repeatedly uses in this letter to refer to Jesus. So now that we've seen some of the repeated words, ideas, and themes, let's take a brief look at how some of these themes are included in each chapter. So, chapter 1. Remember, Peter's call to holiness. And I want to read verses 4 through 8. For by these... And he's referring to Christ's glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, that diligent action, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in what? In the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ involves this fruit that he talks about in verses 4 through 8. So that's the positive call to holiness, to sanctification, to purity. Verse 9 gives the related warning. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten, having not remembered, having forgotten the knowledge that he had, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And then verse 10 adds, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So this chapter one is a call to holiness. We are to be a pure bride of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He died to make us pure. He gave us his righteousness. We are to live that righteousness out. And let's go on. Chapter 2 warns us of false prophets. Now, we're going to spend a few weeks in this chapter later on, but I want to highlight just a few things. What does it say? False teachers will be among us. Let me read chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. What will they do? Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. You know, this is a simple statement of fact. False teachers will be among us. So we must fight for the truth. It's critically important for the church to be pure, sound in doctrine, sound in our love for one another. We fight for this purity in our teaching, from the pulpit, in our classes, in our community groups, even in our new member process. What happened when we all joined this church we attended a class. We were taught sound doctrine. We sign a covenant. We covenant together that we will uphold this doctrine. We have a membership conversation. You know, I had my initial membership conversation with Justin. He asked me questions about my belief in this sound doctrine. We as a church body uphold this doctrine together. We are fighting together as a church for sound, pure doctrine. And Peter touched teaches us to recognize false teachers. The apostles testified to their eyewitness experience. What do false teachers do? They make up false words, chapter two, verse three. Peter speaks to the truth of Christ, chapter one, verse three. False teachers secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, chapter two, verse one. False teachers are enslaved to sin, chapter 2, verse 19, and seek to enslave others. Peter instructs us to diligently pursue goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, brotherly kindness, and love. False Christians, how does he describe them? Self-willed, arrogant, revile God-ordained authority, chapter 2, verse 10. Their lives are characterized by evil fruit. So this is a good time in our study to begin thinking about how false teaching may seek to enter Covenant Life Church? How could a false teacher gain a foothold? How do, I, how do I even understand the difference between a false teacher and an immature believer or a hurting, struggling believer? Where are we attempted to allow error even today? Where are we being attacked with error right now? 
These questions should inspire us to know the truth, to beware of teaching that speaks to our pride, our greed, our lust, that minimizes the truth and glory of Christ. So ask yourself, what messages do I hear that I am tempted to believe and am tempted to bring inside the church? Chapter 2, verse 3 says, false teachers... In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. You know what this literally means? This is the old King James Version. They will make merchandise of you. So think about that. You are, they are seeking to make you into something that they can sell, something they can use for their own power. And maybe just think of one example. Think of the websites that you look at. some of the social media platforms that you look at. Money is being exchanged. Somebody has money and they're giving it to somebody else and that the person who's receiving the money is giving the person who gave the money something in return. We are usually not the ones exchanging that money. A website puts content together. But it's not just ad space on a website that's being sold. You know, anybody can make a, make a website and try to sell ad space. What's being sold is the attention of the people who look at that website. Our eyes, our ears, our minds are being captivated, are being captured by content in a website. That attention is being sold to somebody else. Now, not all websites or social media platforms are, are evil, but that is one way in which we are being made merchandise. Our thoughts, our attentions are being captured and now that attention is being sold to somebody and now there's pressure that, that happens because money is now changing hands. There's a temptation for somebody who, who seeks to produce pure content to produce something else in order to keep the attention needed to keep money coming in. And that's just one example. One example for us to beware of as we're thinking about false teaching and how it's affecting us, how it might find its way into the church. So chapter two, a warning of false teachers. And then chapter three contains a call to know. And know what? Let's take a look at chapter three, verse 10. The Lord will come like a thief in the night and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. Because of this, we are called to holiness. We're called to purity. We're called to diligence. We're called to patience. We're called to hope. Second Peter calls us to live knowing the end. Would you have ever done anything differently if you knew how it was going to turn out? I certainly would have. Would you have done anything differently if you knew what the end was going to be? Because you have that opportunity right now. You know for certain what the end will be. You know exactly how you should live in light of that knowledge. Peter leaves us in no doubt. How should we live in light of the knowledge of what the end is going to be? There's a call to holiness, chapter one. There's a call to purity, of keeping false teachers out, chapter two. There's a call of knowing 
in chapter 3. We know what the end is to be. We know how we are to live. We, we know the power that we are given to live that way. We have that free gift, that grace of faith given to us so that we may believe, so that we can live in godliness, in kindness, and in love. So that's Second Peter. That's what we're going to be studying the next few weeks. If we come to this word willing to believe it, willing to obey it, God will teach us. And so I'm going to close today with just a few lines from the end of this letter. I'm going to read in chapter 3. I'll read verses 14 and 15, and then I'll read verses 17 through 18. And then we'll have a period of silence, and we'll get to respond to this word, respond in singing, respond in the way we fellowship with each other. If you have not come to faith, this would be a good time to talk to one of the pastors, one of the members of this church about coming to faith in Christ. We would love to help you in that. So let me read. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, and then 17 and 18. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness, diligence. So that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can close the day today the same way Peter closed this letter before he went to die a death to the glory of God. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the clarity that you give us. And we trust ourselves to you in all. In all. In Jesus' name. Amen.